Welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast. My name is Amit, and today I'm going to have a conversation that I feel is... Um, I'm very curious about this conversation. I really don't know where it's going to go, but it's an edgy topic for sure. And it's a topic that I've been interacting with through a course that I've been taking with uh, today's guest uh, over the past six or so months. And uh, yeah, it's been triggering and it's been interesting and it's been provoking. And uh, well, I'll just come out and say it. It's uh, the, the topic that we're going to circle a little bit around is, is sort of population population control or population reduction even maybe. And yeah, I think it's a tricky one. So I'm very curious to see where it, uh, where we can, where we, where we end up today. Um, but welcome to the podcast, Pam Pence. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you, Amit, for welcoming me. And I look forward to uh, having this conversation, this uh, play in this uh, play, playground of population. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. I think I'll, I'll tend to start us off instead of of me trying to color <laughs> color the introduction of you in some way. I I, I tend to let you uh, let the guest do that uh, themselves, and uh, I usually invite that uh, presentation uh, with the question of who are you, Pam Pence. Hmm. Well, I am a lifelong learner, which is probably something you hear pretty frequently. I'm on the spiritual path quite a bit, opening myself up to new ways of being. And I, uh, I've had an interesting professional what uh, professional career I started as an accountant, CPA, certified public accountant in the U.S., uh, became a director of finance, then became a yoga therapist. Just a slight change of occupation. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I worked a lot with veterans with PTSD. And then COVID hit. And the yoga therapy that I was doing was in the hospital, which wasn't a great place to be bringing healthy people during COVID. So my classes were deferred. And by the time they got around to bringing me back, I had reinvented myself as a, I guess I'll call myself an, an earth activist or an earth advocate. I woke up in June of 2020 and realized, oh my God, we we're in a mess. I had had my head in the sand and was just amazed at what was going on in the world, the world of nature, of our, you know, pollution, etc. And so um, I just said, well, what's mine to do? And what, hap what popped into the head was well, this all emanates really from how many people are on the earth, as well as other things like consumption and injustice. And I realized, well, not very many people are going to be talking about population, so I'm going to go there. So I guess I would also say I'm, I'm, I'm one for the underdog. I like to, to work on what's not, not what not everyone else is doing. I have two kids, 
two wonderful young 20-something boys and a husband I've been married to for mm, 45 years, I think. So um, it's been a great life, and I'm looking forward to making a, another type of impact on the world now. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. And I'm really curious about um, this, um, the waking up to, to uh, the situation we're in. Would you speak some more to that? Like what, what um, was there a trigger or was there a, something else? And, and kind of also just curiously kind of what, what um, yeah, what was the catalyzing mm. um, event or like? Yeah, it's actually pretty clear. I was in a online spiritual group and one of the persons had mentioned this organization she's a part of, the New Republic of the Heart, which is orchestrated or was orchestrated by Terry Patton. He just passed away recently. And he wrote a book. And so I thought, okay, I'll kind of interested in what this woman was saying this group was about. So I read his book, and in that book, he talked about the ecological situation. And I had, I mean, I've been recycling since I was in junior high. <laughs> so I, I was aware that we should be doing something, and I drive an electric car for, for the reasons of ecology, but I had no idea of the systemic issues and how bad things really were. So it was a very specific triggering event of reading that book. And, and, then, and then the fact that my life had nothing else going on in it because my job had, had been furloughed. And the other thing that I'd been giving a lot of time to, which was a not-for-profit, I rolled off the board of directors at the same time. So my entire working hours just completely freed up. And so I, it just was synchronistic, in my opinion, that all this came together at the same time. And until then, I did my little uh, recycling and what have you, but nothing more than that. My head was in the sand. Mm, yeah, thanks for that frame. And, and um, you're in the U.S., one should maybe, I'll, I'll position you uh, just geographically yes. as well, because uh, that might be useful. Yes, I'm in uh, California, <laughs> in Southern California. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I, I wanted to comment on the word population control. Mm. I try not to use that term because it, when people hear that, they assume you're talking about eugenics or... Mm or the one-child policy of China, or the forced sterilization in countries. That is not at all what I'm, what I'm about. I'm, I'm really about taking the time to be really conscious about what kind of world do we want to live in? And from that, look at, well, how are we living, and what are the dynamics going on on Earth, and what can we consciously shift to create more aliveness, more love, more joy, more thriving instead of just existing? And so when I look at inf information about how many resources we as humans are using on the earth right now, according to the Global Footprint Network, 
it's we're using about 1.7 worth of earth every year and you know that's not sustainable and yes we can reduce our consumption absolutely we need to reduce our consumption and yet even if we reduce our consumption because there's so many of us those resources have to be spread amongst all of us it creates a lot of of uh, very minimalistic living if we still stay at the number of humans 7.8 billion of us right now mm. yeah thanks for bringing that in that's actually where i was going to i'm thinking about how to bring us into the topic um, without coloring it too much because like i said i have i definitely have some bias i'm definitely not fully relaxed around the around the topic um I'm even now sitting with like a little bit of tension. I'm wondering like, how do we, how do we approach this? Like, what do I, what do I really stand for? I haven't necessarily thought it through. You know, it's, it's, I've been very, I've been, been sort of collapse aware for, for quite some time. I've been, uh, my current mindset is that, that the collapse has already happened. Um, it's just, now it's just playing out and it's, it's not, um, inevitable, but it's, um, well, yeah, I, I think it's it's more or less already happened. It's going to be some version of really bad. And Collapse so, of the human society? Just the uh, the earth as we know it, mm. I think, the ecosystem as we know it. Um, and, and then I'm, I'm awakening to a perspective of maybe that um, it's more, it could also be a transformation. It could also be an initiation. It could also be something else um, but i think we are we are really looking at both um turmoil and and some really really large transformations like uh, i'm i'm not one of those people that think that looking at the last 500 years will give us much clue or more once in a millennia or maybe once every 5000 years or even maybe even longer than that like we might be looking at uh, some something that looks like a an axial age event type you know like a 12000 year frame timeline um that that's those are the thoughts that I'm hanging out mm. with. Uh, so much more like uh, the yogic yogic timelines of of uh, of the Eastern mythologies, if you will. Um, yes. But just to to make that visible, I think. And and so how how are you thinking about these topics at the moment? When when we speak about popular, like maybe just give a frame. Like I'm not even going to say more than that. What where, where are you? How are you thinking about this? Well, I agree that there's going to be some pretty awful things that are going to happen. We're, we're too far gone into the situation to prevent some really painful things from happening. And I also believe that we do have an opportunity to make it a less of a crash landing and maybe take longer to get there. And so to have less people suffering is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm interested in this topic. I would prefer less people having to go through a dystopian situation than more. And that's my preference. <laughs> mm. 
It's a strange question, but but why? <laughs> oh, well, I guess that because I believe in the the reduction of suffering. It's a Buddhist philosophy of reduction of suffering. And I don't know that I believe that it should should not happen or should stop happening. I mean, the, the uh, collapse of human society. But I don't know that we need to intentionally bring more people into the world to go through that suffering. And I'm not saying nobody should have children, anything like that. I'm saying, let's be really conscious of our decisions. I, for, for a decision that is so life-changing, having a child, I don't know that most people really think about, why do I want this child? Do I have the capacity to support the child? Uh, what do I need to change? And what am I willing to change in order to, to have a child in a way that is sustaining and, th and in a situation where the child is going to thrive? And so I think given what we're facing on the earth, that a look at why do I want a child at this point is, is a good idea. <laughs> I, I know myself, I did not make that as conscious a choice as I could have. It was more of, well, life doesn't feel as meaningful as it could. Maybe having a child will make it, my life more meaningful. It, there was no conscious dis thought about why do I want to bring a child into the world for their sake? And that, that wasn't part of my conversation. And another part of the conversation wasn't what alternatives are there of a description of what is family? You know, do, can I be a really great aunt to my brother's kids or my friend's kids? Or can I adopt or can I foster or maybe make a really meaningful career my child? So none of those things really went through my mind. And those are all valid choices, which gets me to a pronatal discussion, but I'll, I won't bring that in for the moment. Mm. That's interesting. But so like what comes up in me, like, cause there's, there's, I definitely sense some resistance in myself here. Um, so one thing is like on the systemic level, cause I'm like, well, sure, but we need we also need more young people in, in the world. Like it's, it's going to be very tough if we have an aging population and like we have, we're already seeing consequences of, of demographics. And then at the same time, I'm like, well, I realize that that's also an argument from the current system where we have workforce, like it is, it is a human resource paradigm, paradigm mm -hmm. I think. Which, in some ways, could be you know sort of problematic, and at the same time, so like that that's one one part. And then I also look at the the sort of the deeply personal. It's like on one end, I get what you're saying. I can I can kind of understand 
uh, sort of making a conscious decision around around having a child and, and sort of are we willing to invest into this child or these children? Um, and at the same time, I'm like, to, to me, it's like it's one of those things that uh, if I haven't, it's, it's, it's like a rite of passage in a way, like one of those things where if I hadn't done it, there would have no, would be no way for me to relate to what it is to have children. Now, I mean, I have two um, little girls and, and the way that they have reshaped me and the way the affordances that they have given me and how they have changed the way that I show up and appear and take responsibility and move in the world is, uh, I, I don't, I don't see that I would have gotten here in, in the last six years, which is when my first daughter was born, unless she would have been a catalyst for that change. So she has made a lot of decisions, hard decisions possible um, that wouldn't have been possible before. And she has made me relate to the ecological and climate crisis and planetary crisis, if you will, all of them in a completely different way because of her existence, because of their existence, I should mm. say. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll make those things visible and stop there. I don't know, you know what, what comes up in you when I, when I say those things. Well, addressing the first piece about the economy and people as a workforce, that could be part of the old guard, as you say. And it seems like a generative way of deciding to have children is more about what can I contribute more to the world or myself but mostly the world. <laughs> if I had children, uh, what might they contribute to the world? And the the aging workforce, that's a real, I've heard that as more of like a Ponzi scheme. You've got to keep putting more people in at the bottom to keep the people at the top going. And that's it's a one-time process of getting out of that Ponzi scheme. And so if you can make jobs more efficient and create greater health in the uh, older populations so they feel better, they're more capable of working longer, that can be bridged as well as just in general looking at our values and saying, do, I, do we need to keep working to keep this economy going? Is the, are we here to feed the economy or is the economy here to support us? And perhaps, you know, getting out of that Ponzi scheme and really thinking about how much stuff do I really need and instead focusing on family and working less hours and uh, being in nature and, and the other kinds of things that we can find value in that will kind of bridge that process of the aging population and you know the what is it necessity is the mother of invention so I'm sure there are ways that we will come up with to bridge that gap should we choose that that's what we want to do there's infant there's lots of possibilities and potential and then in regard to the life the shift in yourself probably your wife as well, in having children. I could, I could certainly, and, and I do say that for myself as well, but I'm not sure that 
I wouldn't have had just as meaningful a life if I would have gone a different direction. And not that I don't love my sons, because I love them. I think they're really are wonderful young men. And yet I could have found meaning in many other ways myself, personally. That may not be the truth, the case for you or for other pe- some people. But there's a, there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of societal assumptions about motherhood and having children that don't play out in many people's lives. Women who choose not to have children or have one child are just, are just as fulfilled as women who have children. Hmm. And who knows where we would be if we didn't have children and how, how fulfilled we would be. It's interesting. I'm realizing my, my, um, my sister works with, uh, she, she has a PhD in global health and she's working with uh, female reproductive issues, like reproductive mm-hmm. health. And of course, a lot, a lot about that is, is regarding... Um, education like around around uh, you know contraceptives and like i mean condoms and and birth control and and all of that and like empowering young girls specifically uh, and women in in very um, vulnerable uh, contexts specifically uh-huh. and a lot of what i'm hearing you speak kind of also fits under that Umbrella, and I mean, it's equally provoking to 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 some people, I think, and and yet, like that that particular type of framing, to me, is not as uh, provoking because that's that's an empowerment issue in a way. Like it is what you're what you're referring to. It's not there, there's discussion to be had about um, how healthy it is um, to make kids the meaning of your life. I mean. <laughs> I've, I've been uh, in in a lots of like performative, uh, perf- like you know performative contexts like uh, music and sports and stuff like that. And and when you see parents that are living out their own dreams through their kids, and you, a lot of those kids are not doing that well, uh, if you will. So then you wonder, wonder a little bit, you know, who are you doing it for? As you. But how do you see that? Yeah, what's the what's the differentiation for you between between let's say like the the that global health sort of reproductive health female reproductive health lens versus um, the way that you look at population? Well, I I'd say that there are two sides to the same coin in one way. I the way that I would like to see population reduce over time is for for women and men couples to be informed about their bodies about the modern contraceptions that that are available and to take the pressure off of them to feel that they have to have a child or two or three, and they have to do it within X number of years of being married. You know, take that all off, all that pressure off, and say, what do you want? And what do you want for your children? And then through that education and that empowerment 
of women, the outcome is a smaller birth rate. So the reason I talk about overpopulation is because it's a taboo topic and it it creates it creates an unconsciousness around a very important part of society so we can talk about education and empowerment and we can also say that one of the out this isn't the reason well <laughs> it is the reason to have the conversation but it's not the reason to make the choice that you eventually make the choice i think comes from the the empowerment and the the deep soul searching about who am i and and why this child and the outcome is reduced population which right now 45% of pregnancies are unwanted 45% worldwide including in the US and that's because of uh, you know certainly there's some cultural things there's religious but most of it is is from lack of of access consistent access and the right contraceptive for the particular person and their circumstances so what if every, again every child was wanted and the resources that we have to support children were spent on less of them and so the quality of their lives could increase and so could the quality of the parents if they're feeling uh, less harried or they're feeling more more educated more capacitized to to support the children it's funny i mean i'm i'm realizing i think or maybe so but at, at least my interpretation is like a lot of it it's a little bit of a, a home blindness i mean i'm born and raised in sweden and uh these discussions like it's of course there's like you, you never want to have an abortion mm -hmm. you know um but but in sweden it's it's not really a controversial topic anymore uh there are there are certain sort of more recent political parties that have opinions about women and women's bodies and so forth but basically since since the trajectory since i was born and and discussion and the discourse has always been that of of empowerment and at least in at least in terms of how the debate has been been given is that the the, the woman has has a choice you have a choice and i mean a lot of not a lot of, but I, I know a couple of friends of mine that are like, they're a couple, they, they have both, you know, earn a lot and they're balanced and they're great. And they've said, you know, we're not going to bring kids into the world. Some of them because of comfort, like they, they like being mm -hmm. dinks, like double income, no kids. Um, they, they like their life. They, they don't want the hassle. They want to travel. They want to do whatever they want to do. Some are, are doing it for, for ecological reasons. They are actually informed and they're kind of, making another nice i'm seeing those types of discussions and trends to to increase as well and and at the same time i'm, I'm also seeing like these uh 
other discussions of 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 like where where we're having at least in the in the big big cities and again i don't know everything that i'm talking about is anecdotal so i don't necessarily have any stats i can't i don't i don't, I don't know but but uh you know birth birth ages are are older women get older uh, as they're having kids and and that comes with some sort of host of complications um as far as sort of energies and and goes and, and sort of parenting and so forth i mean we were kind of I was thirty something when when we had kids, but but um, nonetheless, like it's it's not uncommon that that couples are forty something when they have kids, and that there are consequences from that too. I mean, there's um, I just think it's a really tricky equation to tease out, and and when we are framing it initially as a overpopulation issue. That's probably where I face the resistance. If we face it as a, if we would frame it as an, you know, empowerment issue, information issue, um, a possibility issue, uh, a sort of looking at the dark side or the shadings that we have in our culture, you know, what are the norms that we are kind of adhering to more or less consciously and so forth, then um, that, 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 that feels like the discussion that we've, at least in, in the Nordics or like in Sweden particularly, we've, we've had for a really long time. So I'm feeling comfortable almost around around that discussion it's when it's when the headline becomes overpopulation that i get uh, and it's probably because what you were already pointing to uh, you know which is not what you're talking about but nonetheless like these these uh, control measures like draconic control measures that have been put into place in different regions in the world and at different time periods um that are that have had some really nasty consequences uh, and, and dehumanizing consequences mm-hmm. yeah that sounds like it's very possible that that's uh, where the discomfort is coming from, uh, you know, the, the remembering of those draconian measures. And there are many organizations that that are about overpopulation, and they do talk about the fact that, well, if we all wanted to live uh, on... $8,000 a year, if we believed in, if we believed in an equal lifestyle for everyone, given the resources that we have that the, that the earth generates every year, we could all live on about $8,000 a year. So if we would prefer to have a higher standard of living for everyone, then the earth isn't the earth can generate some more than it is now. There are certain things that are being done, but it's not going to change that number significantly. So then if we want a higher standard of living, there needs to be less of us. And we can talk about educating girls and empowering women and girls, but that's not... um, it's not pointing to something that's Im- I think is important for people to know that that's you know we can clean up our pollution and we can allow the earth to regenerate itself a whole lot faster if there weren't as many of us who are continuing to pollute and to use resources as the earth is trying to heal itself uh, we but that that sounds like a, what I'm hearing there is is a, and you have to correct me if I'm wrong. But what I what I believe myself to be hearing is that there is some assumption that human 
the, that that uh, the human race is bad for for the planet? Mm, I would say the human human species, as we've allowed ourselves to live and not kept ourselves within a healthy boundary on Earth, has overextended itself. For example, in the last 50 years, humanity has increased its number of us 110%. At the same time, vertebra wildlife has decreased by 68%. It's almost 70% of vertebra wildlife are gone. That to me doesn't sound like it's very imbalance. So I'm looking for humans to have less impact on the earth so that other species can also thrive instead of shrink as they are now. And the warming of the earth and the cleaning of the, all of that can start to retract a bit. Mm. So it's not that we're bad. It's that (laughs) we're the apex predator. Nobody on earth has control over the number of us other than ourselves. There's nothing that's containing us within healthy boundaries besides ourselves. Or if there's too many of us and we don't have enough food, then, you know, then then hunger and poverty is going to take us. But I'd much rather us be conscious about our role on the earth and balance with the rest of the species. I'd rather us be more conscious about it than for the earth to take us, so to speak. So it's interesting because I think trying to feel my way into this mm-hmm. problem or like the where I'm at. I mean, I'm I recognize like the issues that you are grappling with. I recognize like those I feel very familiar with. Like they are there's a deep resonance around that. Like, how is this supposed to be done? And yet, like I'm, I'm trying to figure out like if it's if it's an unwillingness to go there, or if it has to do with like what are we trying to do here? And so like the the way that I've been trying to come at it is like kind of what you said initially, which is like you know it, we can we could live at at eight thousand dollars a year like for that then we could have all of us and and what i'm trying to do is like well you know what if we made money redundant like what if you could step back into um other types of currencies and have a more free flowing exchange what if we could release the mindset of hoarding um and find more flow and and live more in uh more in trust and and in in lockstep with with nature and with the resources that are around us um what if we could rebuild, let's say, local systems? What if we could step out of this idea that we work to get money to be able to exchange the money for all those things that we're living for? And then instead of, instead of that secondary experience, um, we would actually do the first-hand experience. So if I thrive off of being out in nature, then I'll be out in nature and work the fields or, or something like that. Like what, what, if, what if there's that, that different society that looks um, differently, not necessarily going back to like some sort of agrarian or or uh, 
indigenous as is, but but more rather sort of drawing upon those that that wisdom, um, you know, and then then also that relation that I feel like that, that there is. Uh, we're also useful to the ecosystem because of opposable thumbs and because of the way that our mind works and the way that we are able to see patterns and understand patterns and interact with with the reality. Um, you know, there, there are all these like complex um, forms of work that we could do as in like, I mean, I'm, I'm specifically thinking of this, this book, Sand Talk by Tasson Junkaporta, where he mm-hmm. says, Aboriginal sort of indigenous people, they would they would have like a really large garden. It's not like they were necessarily nomads, but they were moving between different particular stations. And then they would be fishing the catfish when the fat was, you know, the fattest. And then as the mosquitoes moved out, you know, they would come and burn the grass. And I'm, I'm messing up the order now, but but regardless, and the burning of the grass would replant the seeds for, for the next season. And uh, that's that would build up the soil and the soil would you know, then, then uh, carry the animals. Uh, and it, it's like that perspective of the humans as the custodial species. And I, that framing allows me to be relaxed into it. And it allows me to access more of my capacity, I think, my creative capacity. Whereas the other one is kind of a contracted capacity and it's kind of looking for, it has me looking for exits rather than looking for opportunities. Hmm. And so I'm sitting a little bit like if I would be very pointed, I'd be like, what's the point? What's the point in framing the, the question of, of overpopulation and, and bringing that lens in and, and talking about it from that, from that perspective? You know, maybe nobody's talking about it for good reason. Like there's a lot of good people that have, have thought, like good brains that have thought about this stuff and, and they seem to have ended somewhere else. Yeah. If I'm provocative. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I guess my what's coming up for me is as as you said earlier, you're the we're facing pretty pretty stiff odds to have a semblance of our society stay intact, and so for me, much uh, you know all hands on deck, all eyes, all possibilities on deck. So yes, let's get back to more indigenous ways that are in tune with earth and we are part of the eco- ecology and we're supportive and 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 recognize that we are part of the earth cycle instead of separate from and and dominator over. I'm I'm you know that absolutely and also really looking at our values and and just you know do we really need to consume as we are because of the strain it puts on resources mm. yeah. and let's look at all the social injustices of the global south and the global north and you know we can go on for days about about all that uh, so that that too needs to be on the table and why not be conscious about our numbers we're talking about our, mm. our our we're talking about our consumption we're talking about how we live do we drive a car we ride a bicycle do we eat plants or meat so we're at being asked to talk think about all these things why not the sheer number of us that are impacting the earth 
it's another piece of the equation. And again, there's no draconian measures. I'm saying let's realize that our sheer numbers has an impact on the earth and let's be more thoughtful about it and uh, make make some different choices. And and I have we haven't got into it at all, but of course the front end of the of the life cycle of humans is one piece, the end is another. And so yeah, sure. you know that's Absolutely. a whole death and and the and and letting dying be a sacred thing instead of something we have to run away from. So that's another piece of it too. So I see Yeah, I mean as you speak it yeah, sorry. No, I was ahead. just gonna say I see your point about people have known this issue for ages and some have shifted to talking about it about empowering women and uh, educating them. So why am I still talking about population? <laughs> and and to me it's really because it's all hands on deck and the more we realize that it's an issue, the more we might, you know, think about it and decide to contribute to to supporting women's education and maybe choose not to have the third child. Yeah, I can agree, but but this might be the limits of my own psyche speaking, but, but it's like, to me, it feels like whenever I look at these really, and I mean, I've, I've done that quite a bit, but like when I look at existential, when I, when I listen to these existential threat people, um, these infinite scenarios and like when people go into like quite deep detail and like you, you really kind of have to sit staring our, our uh, predicament in the, in the, in the eye. Um, I notice in myself a proclivity to kind of, or I feel my mind kind of slip into, yeah, I feel really sorry for those people. Like it's really hard to be in that existential risk type discussion and and stay with myself and like the consequences for myself like one in four you know i mean there's four people in my mm -hmm. family you know one in four this will happen and and i'll be like yeah those poor families out there the one in four families that sucks and it's a very strong defense mechanism you know that's that's like one thing that i'll yeah what do you think about that because it's it doesn't when i'm dealing with my own nervous system it's like this analogy of I can't remember who who said it, but but um, this analogy of the horse and the rider. Like if you are if you're screaming at the horse, then then the rider really isn't going to listen. Uh, you know, if you're if you're kind of talking calmly to the rider, then if you calm the horse, then then the rider has a capacity to listen and and maybe perhaps start um, redirecting the horse. Even uh, if you're lucky, if we look at the yeah the brain and the limbic system, that's the analogy I think. Well. It seems like anything that's uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable until you decide to stick your toe in the water and be with it a bit. And you get used to that and then a little deeper and a little deeper. It's not just a population, but it's, you know, the amount to which if we're going to make any big dent in the in the global warming, what have you, the consumption levels need to come down significantly too. And that's really difficult. We're, we opened up our home to Airbnb simply because we want more people here 
if we're going to run the air conditioner, then let's run it for more people it's, and, and get more value out of it. Yeah, so, so it's difficult to look at, and we can thankfully be in groups in which we can look at it together, and we can grieve what's already happened and grieve what's probably going to happen together. And together we can face what's in front of us. And as I, I say often, I'd much rather go down swinging with all that I can than to run away from it. That's me. That's not everyone. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think the only part, but I, I don't, what I don't believe in is grieving what might happen. That's, that's a strong resistance to me. I, I really want to become more present to what is. And I think there's enough, there's enough right here um, to warrant for that grief. I mean, my, my most sort of direct, I, when I was a teenager, I was in, in, uh, in a music group and I, we were traveling the world and, and it meant that I had some like 300 days of travel per year. And this was between, uh, when I was 15 to 21 or so. And so I had girlfriends at the time and we would be home for like a week and then we'd be gone for four months and I'd be home for like two weeks and then be gone for three more months. And, and uh, the pattern was, of course, that like as soon as you came home, it was really nice. And then like, it, you know, three, four days passed and then there was this like endless discussion like, oh, you're about to go. Mm. Again. You're about to go again. This is going to happen, you know, and and uh, that really kind of taught me the value of like, but I'm here now. I'm here now, you know, just be with what is like you. You cannot know. And then sometimes, of course, like, you know, things got canceled and shifted and moved. And then there was a lot of, um, that's a nice surprise. But, but it's like, you, you can't know. But that's, you know, and, and for going down swimming, swinging, yeah, I'll, I'll be swinging with you all the way down. I'm playing the, I'll be playing the waltz, you know, on the Titanic. Um, but another thing that I wanted to bring in, actually, that I've been thinking about a lot, um, and that that somebody just planted in my system some some weeks back. But it's like I've I've been playing with the idea, and I, I don't really have a, a neat frame for it. So, but but nonetheless, it's like that the the paradigm shift that we're standing in front of right now. And you've said it a couple of times. So I, I'm curious about what how this lands with you. Uh, the paradigm shift that we're standing in right now is is it might be from a qual quantitative. Uh, paradigm, like the, the way that the economy is is front and center and so forth, but and then shifting us more into a qualitative uh, paradigm, and and this idea that we should care more about, let's say, quality of life and and uh, you know dignity and worth and like the, those aspects, connection mm -hmm. and and um, yeah, oneness, if you will, maybe false and delicate, but and then. What I'm curious about is like then if we're supposed to do this fully, really, properly, because I see it in, in these conscious communities and the communities that have this ambition to, to change the world and like you get this idea going. Um, it's, it's, it's deeply meaningful for everybody involved. And then comes this question, how do we scale it? And I'm wondering, you know, if, if that's kind of the question that's tripping us over again and again and again and again. Because I, you know, all of the fragments of, of the discussion as you are, as you are speaking, like all of those seem meaningful to me. And I, I engage with them. I, I warm up to them. I open up to them and I get interested and intrigued. And then there's something about as we involve the numbers, you know, that, that 
consequence, as if it was inevitable, or, or rather maybe as, as if it was up to us even. Um, you know, if, if we could just do the quality piece, then what? Mm. Well, there, that's the great unknown, isn't it? <laughs> uh, you know, it's like I've, I at one point thought, okay, we should join all of these organizations that are working on on the concept of overpopulation. We should all get them in a room and we're all going to do it the same way. And I finally figured out, yeah, that's not going to happen because each of us are different. So I don't know that that any one thing is going to, or any 100 things is going to do it as much as it is people finding their community and finding value in and how they want to live life and collectively make the change that they can make. And so if school teachers decided to get together and they wanted to make a change, they could make a change in how children are taught, what they are taught. The people who collect garbage can get together and talk about how how can we separate this stuff and do something with all of this refuse? So I I think it's gonna it, there's lots of different people doing different things, and thank God for the internet in this regard. You know, people who come up with some great idea in Yugoslavia can share that with people in Tustin, California, and there can be um, synergies of of work being done, but I don't see, you know, this big convocation of, you know, everyone coming together. I, I, I see that many small pockets will be divinely guided or guided from their real inner essence, you know, getting in touch with what's really important to them and what lights them up and what possibilities do they want to take part in creating. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful to me. Because I, I, that's that's really the future. I mean, it's hyper contextualized. Mm. That's that's the future that I really truly believe in. I had we had um, a woman who I'm very impressed by called Indra Nan on the on the podcast some some episodes back, and she she's really working with um, uh, you know political like a governance, a parallel political governance system, which is completely decentralized, mm. which is run by the people, and. Then of course that is hyper contextualized. It's dependent on which streets you live in, or which communities and municipalities. Uh, up to municipalities, that's that's how far they've gotten. Um, but then they gather them. They kind of wash it off of of you know make the context visible, and and then also put the frameworks, and they disseminate that and put it into a global network of these communities, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be like a similar similar type of idea if you look at the game B movement where they're sort of proto-bees where they will build, you know, they've they've kind of taken the Dunbar number as the, the guideline. You'll give build, you know, communities of 150 people that will be kind of interacting and overlapping and and uh, they will live sustainably and they will do like lots and lots and lots of experimentation. And then as we find out what works, we can keep trying that in other ones and you'll always have possibility to adapt and so forth. Everything is open sourced in that way so you can make it work for you and it's really about that, you know, letting go of that dream that everything will 
work for everybody, you know. And that's that's why I also think like these type of statistics, like the eight thousand dollars, like it's it's misleading because eight thousand dollars in one context is going to be enormous, enormous amount of money, whereas in another context, it's nothing, you know. Um, so it doesn't necessarily lead us to the right discussion. And at the same time, as you are unfolding your thinking and so forth, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate it, and I also appreciate. Um, the numbers in a way because it gives me directionally something to kind of hang my hat on as far as like what what are we actually up against here mm-hmm. like it's not a little bit of change you know it's not necessarily going from <laughs> from from driving a car once a week to you know it's not necessarily just joining a carpool but it's really looking over like what what is the total context of your uh, you know resource consumption and and how does that play out um yeah, I was just uh, listening to uh, an audio book, and um, saving us. And she talked about how it's it's a uh, Catherine Hayhoe, and she talked about how you know her. She's a client scientist, and she flies around the world talking to people. So flying is one of the uh, biggest sources of of uh, carbon and so she bunches her trips she she gathers people around the same area and gets a lot of speaking engagements and then she flies and what she and she does some carbon offsetting as well she uh, pays for trees to be planted and what have you so offsets her trips but uh, yeah there's we can all be very creative and and as I say that, I also just wanted to mention that it's not all our individual decisions that are going to make uh, really big differences. It's our systemic changes. And I'm sure you've been in conversation with lots of people that talk about that. But we need the governance to shift. We need uh, different things to be resourced and others to not be uh, supplanted with uh, government resources. And so um, lots, lots of systemic things need to shift. And as the person that you, you were just mentioning, she's building up a different level of governance so that when the current one collapses, there'll be another one ready to go. And that's kind of, you know, really important because there would be lots of things collapsing. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just read um, um, Jamie Wheel's new book. He, he wrote Stealing Fire, which is kind of, a wildly read book, I think, uh, in, in a few while back. But then now he wrote a new one called Recapture the Rapture, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, but he's speaking a lot to sort of the, as much as it is important to be realistic and and to look clearly and, and open-eyed about how damaging and, and harmful our system is, it's also important to at least check in with oneself where one stands in front of like, how how uh, millenarian we are, if you will, mm. like how how much we are kind of ushering in the the new age, and and how kind of that type of thinking that I was referring to before, which is like, yeah, all those other poor people that are going to die, but fortunately, it's not going to happen to me. It's mm. like that type of buy survival bias for for oneself and 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 our own loved ones. You know, as as things collapse and start falling apart, it's going to get really really painful for everyone, and that includes me. Yes, you know, it includes my kids. And um, 
yeah, just to allow oneself to sit with that and be careful for with like be careful for what we wish for, mm. you know, in a way. Yeah, uh, and th- that just kind of, as you said that, it kind of brought me back to, um, you know, a question you asked about. Well, why would we want to forestall some of the suffering? Why not have a few less people that have to go through it? And you are just feeling it just then, because it's our children who will be going through it. And uh, it's painful to watch and to, yeah. Yes, and <laughs> there's something around kind of what you and I have been involved with as well, but like building the capacity to be with suffering, especially one's own, um, and and finding, you know, generative positions and, and energy out of suffering. and. You know, there there are, of course, like these hero stories that we're addicted to, but it, it also happens. I mean, we're seeing it in the Ukraine conflict right now, like where people seem to be stepping in and stepping up in a way that nobody necessarily thought was was possible for quote unquote modern people, you know, or, or postmodern people, I guess, if you were you know, be nitpicky about it. But it's it's like um that's what I'm curious about, you know, that that's why I'm that's why that's where that question came from as well. It's like why how can we know that the suffering isn't exactly what we need, kind of thing? And who would know that? And what if we rather would would just do everything we can to build the capacity for for thriving um through it? Um and because it's possible. And yeah. how about if we do both? <laughs> we reduce the amount of suffering that we have to go through. And we increase resilience to to rise above and thrive from the suffering that we do have to go through. It's both, I think. Yeah, that's beautiful. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm, did, is there something else that wants to be said? Hmm. No, other than thank you so much for this opportunity to share this topic and to wrestle with the various pieces of it. I appreciate it so much. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. And if people want to get in touch with you um, or find you online or work with you as you are a facilitator and you are a yoga teacher and you are uh, a number of different things, more, more, probably a lot more than I were able to say now, but where, where, when should they get in touch with you and, and how can they find you if you want them to find you at all? Uh, yeah, I'd love to talk to anyone who wants to have some dialogue around this, uh, at least to some degree. <laughs> I What I mean by that is I know people have gotten death threats about talking about this. So uh, if, you, if you're from that ilk, then don't get in contact with me. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, um, the, the best way is just through my email, which is Pence, P-E-N-C-E dot Pam, P-A-M, at Cox, C-O-X dot net, N-E-T. I won't link to that, I think, in the in the episode link. But but regardless, if, if it is interesting and you want to reach out to Pam, you can always go through me as well. And my, my contact information is pretty easy to find. So um, we'll, we'll uh, put you in contact, if you will, if you want to talk about this constructively. But I really appreciate this conversation because I think it's a difficult 
It's, I wouldn't even say it's really difficult. I, I think it's it, a lot of it just makes sense. Um, but but I'm I'm having. It's interesting to find out that a lot of the topics that are the key kind of topics and drivers and things that you are seeing and, and thinking about are things that I'm interacting with from in different frames, mm-hmm. you know, and I have a resistance to it. And at the same time, I can see that your, your framing of it, your entry point into it puts it on an edge that I can kind of appreciate now because I feel like I have the capacity to walk it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. it it. So thank you. It uh, it, it encourages a real uh, a real tussle with your consciousness and with how you're seeing life and and that's what I'm looking to do is to have people take time, look, feel, and come up with their own perspective. Yeah, it's definitely a cure to this kind of, uh, otherwise, this kind of coziness and kumbayainess that can a- appear in, in spiritual um, <laughs> uh, groups where we all kind of sit and agree with each other. I mean, I mean, this one, this one kind of makes you uh, makes you go out there and like get your heart a little bit, you know, riled up and a little bit of adrenaline going through your system. So, that's even even if it's just that, it's I think that's that's the useful part at least, like mainly. And then I'm sure there's more, but I need to sit with it. I'm still not. I'm still not as calm with it as you are, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and I'm glad for that because it'll it, it'll uh, encourage me to do the same. So why don't I just talk about empowerment? You know what what am I thinking I'm doing by talking about population? So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you.